Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We're glad you joined us for this episode of This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. The title of today's episode for Sunday, April 24th, is Truth for Tough Times, It's Complicated. Wow, what in the world could that be about? Well, we're going to be looking at some very troubling issues that trouble people inside the church and even outside the church today to see if we can begin to understand how to respond to these issues and handle them the right way. So let's go to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're only going to look at the first 10 verses today of 1 Timothy chapter 6. You will remember, if you've been with us several times, that the Apostle Paul has written this letter to his friend Timothy that he had left as pastor of the great church in Ephesus, which is now in modern-day Turkey, and Timothy had a big job on his hands. His job was to keep the church focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the Word of God, and reaching people with salvation's message. That is a large, massive task. And yet Timothy was running into some problems, and we've already enumerated many of those, but we see today that evidently there were problems concerning the value system by which the church operated within a pagan world, the issue of societal transformation, the response of servant leadership, which led to spiritual influence, obviously in a positive way. So what exactly was happening that caused the Apostle Paul to write this part of 1 Timothy here in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10? And actually, I want to say we could have taken basically the entire chapter under this title, It's Complicated, because it's not neatly divided in the chapter, but I just picked verses 1 through 10 to deal with part of it today and And maybe we'll entitle the next episode, It's Complicated, Part 2, or It's Complicated Again. Maybe something like that. Well, I want you to know, when we think of a value system, societal transformation, servant leadership, and spiritual influence for the cause of Christ, of course, I want you to know that the Christian church modeled it all in the first century and to a great degree has modeled it throughout church history. Have there been lapses and failures? Absolutely. We're not going to argue about that. But by and large, sincere Bible-believing followers of the Lord Jesus Christ with every fiber of their being and the grace of God have tried to operate by God's value system in a way that transforms society through servant leadership that has a deep, profound spiritual influence on a pagan world. So let's read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's look at 
verses 1 and 2. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Let's just stop right there. Can you guess what the problem was in the early Christian church that had to be uh, properly dealt with and, and the right responses needed to be there? Well, let's look at it again. Let as many servants, this is the idea of a slave, let as many servants as are under the yoke, and that has the idea of, of they're under rigorous, hard service. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters. You know what that word means? It means master. It means like slave and master. Count their own masters. That is, they're to consider their own masters. They're to view their own masters as what? Worthy of all honor. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. This is the word of God. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why should they do this, Pastor Ed? It's simple. Right here, when you see the word that, we're going to see the, the purpose. This is a purpose clause. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That means spoken against, denigrated, ridiculed, put down, dismissed, is basically what we're talking about here. And so that's talking about people who are Christians, yet they're in slavery, literal slavery, and their masters are not Christians. Nevertheless, they are to count even those lost, unsaved, pagan masters worthy of all honor. That is the idea of, of respect. They are in charge of them, so they are to respect them. Why? Because they like it? Absolutely not. Here's the reason that the name of God and his doctrine, that's the word of God, the teaching of the word of God, be not blasphemed. And then he says in verse 2, and they that have believing masters, so that's how we know verse 1 is about those who are not believers yet. Wait a minute, Pastor. Christian people had people who were slaves that they owned? Apparently so. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. Like, don't look down on them because they are brethren. They are, they are brothers in Christ. But rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. All right, let me start answering some of your angst about these two verses. I know that some of you are just thinking, this is, this is insane. Who would submit to slavery? All right, let's break this out. 
historians estimate conservatively, so it could be a lot higher than this, that as many as 60 million plus people in the Roman Empire were slaves, literal slaves, to someone. Let that sink in. Almost everybody was a slave to somebody. Some of the somebodies were not Christians. Some were. Now listen carefully to what we're saying here. This is just how society was when the church was born and people began to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As some of these servants, these slaves did, they came to faith in Christ, and yet they served under sometimes brutal masters. Nevertheless, they would have the right attitude and uh, consider them or count them as worthy of all honor. Why? Basically as a witness that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. I mean, you don't want unsaved pagan masters who own slaves saying those worthless Christians, they're just nothing but trouble. Why would that master ever come to faith in Christ? You see how that works? But then in verse two, what's probably troubling to even more of you is this, that there were slaves who came to Christ, but then also so did their masters, or maybe their masters were the Christians first. So now you've got two Christians involved in this situation, the slave and the master. What are they going to do? Well, the, the burden here is on the slave not to despise the believing master. Why? Because they're brethren, they're brothers in Christ, but rather do them service. You know how you do that? You you serve people that are giving you a hard time like you would serve them if they were the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. And that's, that's taught in another place in the New Testament, even for those who don't deserve it. But rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Now listen. When the church has been born and within that empire of Rome, which covered most of the, you know, the known world at that time, sure, there was China out there way off somewhere, but, you know, those countries way out on the periphery didn't really affect world history at that point. Rome was in charge and everybody knew it. Well, in Rome, slavery was just a thing. Now, listen carefully. One of the greatest courses, uh, actually two courses, they were companion courses I ever took in college, was titled African American History from like, uh, I don't know, Jamestown to 1865, I think it was. And then the second half of that course, I took these in a summer semester. Two of the most fascinating courses I've ever taken in my entire life about anything. The second one was African-American history from, I think, 1865 to the present, you know, at that time. Just fascinating, fascinating, fascinating history. But I learned in that that race-based slavery, for example, black people being enslaved by 
others, was a somewhat relatively new thing in history. And it came from the Spaniards, that idea of being um, race-based. And that started with uh, mo, mo, uh, what am I saying? Muslim tribes, Islamic tribes, who followed Mohammed in Africa, who were themselves black, but they enslaved other warring tribes they were at war with and sold those people into slavery. So that's relatively, compared to world history, that's relatively not the norm. Let me tell you how most people were enslaved. It didn't have anything to do with race, primarily through the bulk of world history. What it was based on is we beat you in war. You, regardless of color, are now our slaves. And entire nations and populations were enslaved to other countries because their country lost a war. You know this. And so when you think of slavery here, it's not primarily based really at all on race. It's more about position, wealth, and all of those things that go with that. And obviously, once that got started among the Greeks and in the Roman Empire, regardless of race, you know, if your family was in a class of slaves, you were born into it, you would go into that, live it, and die in it. That's just the way it was. Now, right now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, but, 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 but that's just wrong. Let me ask you a question. Have you done anything to solve all the societal ills that are around you today that you and your family were born into? I hear a deafening silence. Of course not. You were born into the world that you live in or have lived in in the 20th century, and hopefully now you're living in the 21st century. If you're not, there are major issues happening. (laughs) But... We're not, we can't fix the entire world we're born into. Sometimes we just have to deal with life as it is. But you know the beautiful thing that didn't stop the Lord Jesus Christ from saving people who are in slavery this way, and it didn't stop the Lord Jesus Christ from saving pagan slave masters. And you know what happened when this began to occur? Here's what happened. The value system of the Roman Empire began to change, not all in a day, not in one week, not one month, one decade, or even one century. But over time, this began to transform the Roman Empire and eventually was was born what we would call Western culture. You know, that Western sieve, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western sieve has got to go. Well, Western sieve is what gave us a world without slavery within Western civilization until they fell into the trap of the Spaniards and America and all of that, all right? So, but note that it was the Christian church and its new value system keyed upon what God thought that allowed this societal transformation Did you know that even in Western civilization with the scourge of slavery that began to crop up there later with the colonies and all of that, 
Did you know that it was deeply disturbed uh, spiritual Christians who were bothered by this, like William Wilberforce and, and many, many others, who led in the abolishment of slavery, for example, in England, and eventually, of course, it took a civil war, but eventually the abolitionists won even in America, and almost to a person, probably probably literally to a person, they were moved by the scriptures, the word of God, that this was an evil. It was wrong. So the value system of Western civilization was completely reoriented toward God, which produced societal transformation. And it happened because there was servant leadership from the saved slaves and then their masters became saved. You, you see, they couldn't just let the slaves go. This created, would have created massive, crazy problems within the Roman Empire. Eventually, all of this fell apart. But the gospel was not stopped from reaching people even in a very less than desirable situation. And many of these slaves were able to lead their unsaved masters to Christ. And I'm confident that that greatly changed how they were treated by those new Christian masters. And I want you to think of it this way too. Either in, in the Roman Empire and in Greek culture, either you were born to the, the wealthy class, the business owners, the rich, the aristocrats, so to speak, or you weren't. And if you weren't, probably that meant you were a slave. There was no middle class. Do you see what we're saying? You were in generally one or the other, and you had very little to say about that. In fact, almost no one had anything to say about that. Isn't it amazing how Satan has so corrupted this world, and yet people often blame the church and they blame the Lord. Well, the, the problems we see in the world, you could trace them back to Satan and sin. All right, I'm getting off of that now. All right, so imagine the profound influence that this servant leadership and this spiritual influence had as it changed the Roman Empire. Yes, sirree. Look at verse 3 in 1 Timothy 6. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain, that's profit, making money, being rich, that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, 
and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Can I get an amen on that? You were born with nothing, and when you go out, you're going to go out with nothing. You've heard it before. It's not original here, but none of us have ever seen a U-Haul trailer or truck following a hearse, right? I mean, sure, the Egyptians tried to do that, but actually what happened is grave robbers plundered the pyramids. They didn't take it with them. Nobody does. So if money has got a grip on your heart, let it go. Because you will not take with you what you think mistakenly that you own. You and I do not own anything. Amen. Verse 8, And having food and raiment, that's something to wear, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Somebody asked one of the richest people in the world many years ago, how much money was enough? And his answer was, it's very telling, just one more dollar. Think about what that meant for that person and their soul. There was never enough. They never had enough. They always had to have more. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. The Spanish had a saying that funeral shrouds have no pockets. Yes, siree. And having food and raiment, that is something to eat every day and clothes to wear. If that's all you have, let us be there with content. You can be happy, contented with just that. You know, it is advertising and our own inner greed and discontent that, that trick us into thinking, if I could only have that item, that product, that service, this or that, that thing, that, then I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. You are either contented inside with who you are and who you are in the Lord, or you're not. And that's the truth. What you have or own cannot add to that nor take away from that true inner spiritual joy that is not dependent on the circumstances around you and around me. Now look at verse 9. This is where Paul is going with this. Again, we're talking about it's complicated. Verse 9, and they that will be rich, let let me read that a different way and they that will be rich. Have you ever known anybody whose stated passion, what drove them, it was their first thought in the morning and their last thought at night, and they dreamed about it too. And they always talk about it, and all their actions are about this. Have you ever known anybody that was determined to be rich? I mean, materially, financially. Nothing wrong with trying to do your best, earn a living to support yourself and many others called your family and to help others by giving. There's nothing wrong with that. And God may enormously bless you. But when you sit down and calculate how to get more and more and more and more, 
money and things, you are a destitute soul. There's something wrong with you inside. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in, into many foolish and hurtful lusts or desires, you know, that strong desire for things and, you know, position and power and pride, wealth and all of that. Let's reread this. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Watch this. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Everything that people get into can be traced one way or another back to love of money, of gain, of wealth, however that might be defined. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, I mean, they had to have it and more of it, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Talking about the Christian faith. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Some of the saddest, most sorrowful people you will ever meet are people who have made it their life's ambition, and they will proudly state it so, to be rich and wealthy. And you know what happens? Their, their soul becomes cankered or tarnished. Even if they profess to be a Christian, you will be shocked where this journey takes them at the end. And especially if they're not a Christian, this will keep them from Christ. Amen. You know, as we think about it's complicated, I'm reminded of that painting, which I'm sure you've seen. If not, Google it. It's often called popularly The Scream. And it was painted by Edward Munch in 1893. And basically, my way of putting it, is it describes what someone feels like in the world they're in when nothing makes sense, everything's crazy, and it's so complicated that all they can do is cry out in utter desperation. Well, it's complicated, but Jesus Christ came to bring the solution. You know what the solution is? It's him. He's the solution. He can help you navigate an incredibly complicated situation regarding wealth and power and position and privilege and oppression and all of that. There are no simple, easy things you can do. You will need his wisdom and guidance, but he is here to guide you. More than that, Jesus Christ is here to save you. So if you feel like that painting the screen, it's time for you to turn to Jesus Christ to 
solve the complicated problems for you and lead you and save you. I want you to call a number. I'm going to call it out twice. 877-247-2426. I want to encourage you today with Jesus Christ as your true, real Lord and Savior. You can know for certain how your eternity will turn out and you can be contented with him here in this life. Instead of continuing to follow Satan and being condemned to an eternal hell, you can start following Jesus Christ and be welcome into heaven eternally and also have his peace here in a very complicated world. You could also go to chataboutjesus.com to learn more. Remember that Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope that you will turn to Christ today. If you already know and live for Him more intensely today than you ever have. Thank you for listening to God's Word at This Week in the Word. Share it with someone. Like this episode. Subscribe to the podcast and be notified automatically with every new episode. Thank you for listening. I will share with you again in the next episode. Bye-bye.